Hi, I'm Peter, and you're listening to Defining Boundaries. Welcome back to Season 2. I hope that you enjoyed the past year of conversations from amazing people from around the world within our geospatial community. This year, I look forward to many more conversations, and I hope that you join me on my journey, surveying the world one story at a time. Head over to my Patreon site if you'd like to support the show. You can make a donation towards the purchase and upgrading of equipment, website subscription, and file hosting. If you'd like to join me to have a chat, or you have someone in particular from the industry that you'd like to hear about, send me a message. You'll find the link in the show notes or in my bio on all social media and my website, petercox.com. So if you're ready, let's go. Grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy our chat. Defining Boundaries with Peter Cox. My guest today is Dr. Jane Cook. Jane hails from Tombridge, Kent, a small town approximately an hour's drive southeast of London, England, but now lives in Victoria, Australia, where she is the National Technical Support and Training Manager for the Geospatial Division at CR Kennedy. She wanted to be a town planner, but began her career in the geospatial industry by completing her degree in environmental science and and working in various voluntary positions surveying volcanoes around the world. This led to a PhD in volcanology and a postdoctorate in geological hazard monitoring. She has since worked for Leica Geosystems in the UK before moving to Australia to work with CR Kennedy. Jane is an avid reader and enjoys time outdoors camping and, as she puts it, walking long distances. Hi, Jane, and thanks for joining me today. Hello. Hi, Fisa. How are you going? I suppose maybe walking long distances... Um, would be the case if you were checking out volcanoes all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think, uh, yeah, that's probably part of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, walking walking long distances, although obviously when I was uh, working on the volcanoes, I was carrying a lot of equipment. Oh, yeah. And yeah, so even mm-hmm. uh, short distances felt like quite a long time when you're carrying a total station and batteries and tripods and such. So I can yes. imagine. <laughs> but yeah, it, it probably was the one of the starts of my yeah, mm. loving walking up mountains. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. So you hail from England? I do. Yes. Um, I have to tell by my accent. <laughs> oh, I don't think your accent's that strong. So it's. Um, I was a little bit surprised when I first spoke to you that it wasn't yeah. as thick as what it, I was expecting it I, to be. So. I have been here 20 years now. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm definitely getting an Australian accent. Yeah. So yeah, I grew up in England. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so yeah, lived there until 20 years ago. And when I moved out here, so, mm-hmm. but uh, I lived in lots of different parts of England, traveling around um, mm-hmm. for university and for work and that sort of thing. So um, I think it sort of rounded my accent off before I even left the country. So yeah, think, because yeah, everyone has accents, regional accents. Yeah, yeah, so I was going to say that accents are so different depending on where you are mm. in the UK. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. So growing up in a smallish town, I suppose mm. um, you could call it. What was that like yeah. in England? Um, it was great, actually. It was, uh, and, you know, I think fondly of it now, um, mm. as they are being sort of in such a different landscape. 
Um, but yeah, I grew up in a small town, um, went to the local sort of little primary school in the local village, which was, mm-hmm. um, which was really nice. It was a yeah, really friendly um, place. And then, yeah, went to the sort of high school in the town next door. Um, okay. And that, w- that was sort of good. I went to an all-girls grammar school, mm-hmm. um, which probably led to sort of, um, you know, maybe there was a restriction in some of the things I could study when I was at school um, oh, which hopefully yeah, that's yes. sort of changed now um, mm-hmm. and yeah that's yeah so and then yeah when I finished high school went uh, traveled far away to, as I could to university just to get a different <laughs> and a change of scene. <laughs> well it's funny you say like a, a far way away but how many hours is it? Oh, uh, yeah, okay. It was probably it was probably about a four or five hour drive. So okay. it was actually yeah, it was, it was quite yes. far. Yep. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. <laughs> yes. Because yeah, when we're talking in Australia, our our far away is a lot different to most people. Yes. No. Definitely. <laughs> no. Yeah. I went mm. to university down in Devon, um, mm. at Plymouth University. So yeah, it was quite a quite a drive. Mm. What um what made you choose the environmental science? At university you went straight from high school yes to yeah uni. I yeah. did um yeah I think when I was at school my favorite subjects were was sort of geography um mm-hmm. and I also loved computing and applied computing and that was actually quite a, a new subject back then um yeah. and it was sort of quite you know sort of an emerging um field and I sort of had to make a decision then of whether to go towards with computing or to go into sort of geography and I that time as well in the sort of late 80s um, there was a lot of you know the environmental movement I was you know Mm. member of Friends of the Earth and you know I was very interested in climate change um, as it was sort of you know first coming out and first sort of being talked about so for me environmental science was was an important choice Um, yeah just to go and to study something that I was interested in, to learn the facts about it and to learn a bit more about what was actually going on. So, yeah, it was a, it was something that I yeah, was really interested in pursuing and, and wanted to study and also st- doing the sort of more sciencey side of it. Yeah. So it's very much a science degree um, where you studied, you sort of went and then you, you picked a major in sort of either biology, chemistry or geology um, or even sociology and then you had to sort of oh, okay. bring that and that was your major within the degree mm-hmm. fair enough um, and I chose geology <laughs> surprise surprise yeah, <laughs> yeah that, I mean, to be honest it was a surprise I think I was sort of uh, heading towards the sociology side of things mm-hmm. but um, yeah geology is something I'd never studied at school um, and yeah I really loved it it was yeah a really yeah really interesting and good fun to sort of learn something completely new yeah, I, I think uh, going into that university environment and seeing mm. all the different things that you could actually yes, yeah, go into. Mm. So that that um, has kind of led you to a few different places. Then completing mm. your degree, yeah. Um, what? How, where did you go once you finished your degree? Um, I th- when I finished my degree, I sort of uh, I didn't. I actually stayed living where I was, where I was, um, okay. and I just sort of decided. I'd done some work on um, volcanology at the end of my degree. Um, mm-hmm. it, it for me, studying volcanoes was. I think it was, it was sort of something which was outside of our control. I think I, after doing a degree at that time in environmental science and realizing how much 
you know how much of the environment is being sort of ruined by you know by mm. people mm-hmm. um volcanoes were the one that fought back they were the ones that sort of were out of our control so I think that was sort of I find that quite um interesting that it was sort of something entirely sort of outside of our our control on the planet so mm. um yeah so I just sort of decided to pursue that um if I could um so I looked into how to become a volcanologist and mm-hmm. um, and it's really something that you you know you do through research you don't you know it's not sort of a job that you can go and apply for it's mm. it's just something that you you work out through research um, and and it was also sort of at that stage I had to decide um, what you know what part of what aspect of volcanology I would like to work with um, and you know, it's, it's really made up of, you know, the pure geology or the geomorphology or the geophysics or um, what, or the seismology. Yeah. And, um, and one major part of it is ground deformation. And that's sort of where my interest was. And, mm. um, and I got some work. Um, I sort of found, I, I essentially, I think I sent a letter to every single volcano observatory in the whole world that was English speaking. Um, I sort of thought I'd just, you know, make it a little bit easier for myself um, and send a letter <laughs> to every single one in the world, um, basically asking if I could come and work there. Mm, um, okay. So um, I had a few replies um, and my one of, the, one of the replies which I sort of took up was the Hawaiian Volcano Observatory. Oh. So I, yep, yeah, so I took, got on a plane um, and flew to Hawaii and spent um, a few weeks there, six weeks there, I think. Um, and was given I think on about the end of the first week they gave me um, a couple of GPS units and a manual and told me to read the manual and go and set them up on the survey marks around the island and that's sort of uh, (laughs) (laughs) and that was my yeah that was really sort of where I started so I had to work out how they worked and what to do with them um, what I was doing what part what data I was collecting and how it worked how it fitted in with the the sort of bigger picture and the bigger project yeah okay um, so you'd never with. touched any gps units before that no that no day? i'd done a little bit of uh, i had done some survey courses as part of my degree mm-hmm. um working as a with in geology with environmental monitoring um but yeah that was uh yeah that was my first go and they were very nice. old units <laughs> thrown in the deep end <laughs> oh absolutely absolutely i think that's sort of uh yeah it was great fun Mm. So which, um, were you on different, because is there volcanoes on a few of the different islands? Yeah, it was on the big islands where the Mm. active volcanoes are. So it's really Mm. just, um, yeah, monitoring the active volcanoes. And I was working on the side of Kilauea. um, And yeah, just looking at ground deformation as, you know, sort of, and looking at a lot of historical data then. So I was sort of analysing past data and looking, um, and as I get part of the team of measuring the um, sort of yeah like ongoing deformation on the flanks there so it was mm. yeah it was good fun interesting mm, definitely. so that was just a, a six-week sort of stint yes um and at that point as well um some of my other letters were uh, my sort of asking for help and asking for volunteer work were coming back um and I had um some so the I had a um a professor called uh, John Murray from the Open University and he goes every single year and he has been for I think he's up to about something like 30 odd years that he's wow. been measuring Mount Etna in Sicily. So um, I, I sort of signed up to be a volunteer um, helper for him for that year as well. 
So I went to Sicily a couple of times. I think in total I went about three or four times with him mm -hmm. um, to measure his network. Um, and that was purely leveling. So, um, oh, yeah, so I, I leveled around the volcano many, many times in all weathers <laughs> and became, a, I would say, and it was weird actually because I, at the end of it, I was really an expert at holding a three meter barcode level staff <laughs> and falling over onto lava and not letting the barcodes get scratched. Yes. Um, that I was really good at that, but the actual sort of, I never was allowed to actually touch the instrument. So I didn't, <laughs> didn't really learn oh, anything gosh. too much from the other side, but that's okay. It was, uh, it was a beautiful place to be. And mm. I just absolutely loved it. Loved every, every minute of it. So yeah, which but is why I went long, back again and again. Yeah. I could imagine how long was one level run around? Um, okay. I think the whole thing was 30k. Yeah. Okay. Um, and and it was sort of first order, well, sort of first order leveling. So, um, but without the, you know, the umbrella and the other bits. But yeah, mm -hmm. so we were, it was really sort of tight, um, you know, the what we were doing. So it was done very carefully. Yeah. Um, and it was, yeah, we sort of leveled up and back in a day, every day, and then we'd move on to the next bit and then yeah. sort of go up and back in the next day. Mm, okay. Um, yeah. They'd have specific marks that they were measuring between. Yes, all the yeah, time. they did. Yeah, and so the, the, the volcano had yeah had survey marks, mm. had pins all over the whole of the summit, mm. Mm -hmm. and you would just go around on a path and just pick up these pins as we went round, um, mm. just to see, yeah, the sort of how they were how they were moving. So okay. and that was so you did the GPS at Hawaii. Yeah, but the digital leveling. Yes. In Sicily. Yeah. Why did he not use GPS? Um, he did do a little bit of GPS, but he actually mm -hmm. wanted to use he he's and he still still levels it now. Okay. Um, really just to get the as as accurate as he possibly could. Right. So it was really just to to pick up really small, tiny changes um yeah. along the level line. And the and the data set, as I said, has been running for 30 odd years. Mm. Um so it so it's really about just picking up very small changes. And he also used a technique called dry tilt leveling, um, mm -hmm. which I don't, I haven't actually seen anyone else do anywhere else. I think it sort of is something which is applied uh, in other situations where essentially you would have, you'd set the level up and you'd have a set of marks around in a really big circle. And it could have been over, um, I think there was some which was sort of, you know, sort of 20 meters and there were some which were a lot longer distance. And you would just measure the heights around of these marks from a central point um so he did so he sort of used yeah this technique as well on certain patches of the volcano to sort of have a look at the tilt yeah um but yeah so yeah he was uh so yeah he used leveling he did use gps as well um mm. and i but i was only really involved in the leveling at that stage mm. i hadn't quite progressed on to you being allowed to use the gps equipment <laughs> Or the digital leveler. Or the digital leveler. No. <laughs> I think when I first started working at Lycra, I was like, wow, am I allowed to actually touch these? It's like, <laughs> never allowed to touch one of them before. Oh, that's funny. Um, he was always on the level, was he? Or always. he had others? Yep. Yeah. No, always. Yeah. Yep. No, no, yeah. Yeah. And as I said, yeah, still mm. is, still out there every, every year mm. and uh, still doing his monitoring. Your level run's only as good as the person holding the staff. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I was, I got pretty good at it, especially in high winds, you know, you could sort of balancing on a rock and uh, yeah, holding the staff level. So yeah, it became uh, my secret talent. 
<laughs> yeah, that, that would be quite difficult with yeah. uh, a three metre. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Especially as I'm actually, uh, yeah, not very tall. <laughs> so it's like it's like twice my height almost yeah it's, it's like you know leaning into the wind or absolutely using definitely. your whole body weight yes yes oh funny okay so you've been to Hawaii you've been yep. to Sicily yep. a few times yes. where else um I also worked in um Reunion Island um which is it's a small tropical island between uh, Madagascar and Mauritius Oh, and it's uh, okay. <laughs> and it's French, so it's actually well, it's, it's actually um, officially a part of France. So it's not even it's sort of not a French territory or whatever. It's actually a part of France, mm-hmm. although it's obviously a very long way from the main bit of France. Um, yeah. It has the most amazing history. Um, a lot of it, not a particularly great history, um, mm-hmm. but a very yeah very interesting history in terms of the how the, the people that are there. Um, it's a French, African, Indian. It's a real sort of mix of people and cultures and and such. And yes, yeah, I said it has a yeah a, an interest. There's a lot of the places. Um, there's a lot of places right in the centre of the island, um, which was sort of like um, sort of settled by slaves and such that had run mm-hmm. away. So it's sort of a yeah, it's a it's a really interesting place um and there's and it's essentially one huge volcano oh, well, actually a couple okay. of little volcanoes but yeah there's a couple of older ones and then there's a, a big volcano mm-hmm. Pitan de la Fones. um so Play I worked real quick yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not so, even going to attempt that one <laughs> <laughs> and I yeah so that Pitan de la Fones was is a similar volcano to Etna so my research so this so at this point moving on I was actually then starting my own research so I decided that I was going to um, I wanted to do my own ground deformation work mm-hmm. um, so at this point now I'm starting to sort of build up my own research thesis and my own ideas of what I wanted to study um, yeah. and one of the site the other another site was yeah Peter Delfonez which has it's very similar sort of um, very similar type of volcano and very very similar fracture and fault zones mm-hmm. um, that obviously needed monitoring and needed uh, measuring. So mm-hmm. yeah, I had a, we got together um, with our sort of research group um, with a, a French research group as well from the Institut de Globe de Paris, I think, um, mm-hmm. and we worked and I went out with a couple of us went out um, with a group there and we did help set up some additional survey marks on the, well, within the volcano, within the major flank of the volcano, which they were then going to tie into their sort of national grid of survey marks. Oh, okay. Um, so it was sort of working with, so my sort of schoolgirl French sort of came out. So it was uh, speaking, <laughs> speaking French, which was, uh, yeah, a bit challenging. Um, so your language but, but, does come in handy sometimes, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it, it was one of those sort of things where yeah, you sort of uh, just thrown in the deep end and you just have to sort of go with it and you have to do mm. it. Um, and, yeah, and we did some work there setting up some baseline marks. So okay. there was nothing happening on the volcano at all. So it was really a case of going there and just sort of putting in the survey marks and setting up a network which we could then look at how the points within the network moved um, to try and sort of assess if there was any deformation occurring and any movement underground of any sort of magma coming up or any fractures opening up. Mm, Okay. Um, Um, So that was, that was really your first of your own sort of study. Yeah. So, 
so that was sort of so I suppose I started on um on Aetna as well so the you were sort of asking why John Murray didn't was using leveling and not GPS mm-hmm. he did use GPS um and the top of the volcano is actually weirdly sort of separated off into different areas that were measured by different universities or different research groups right, okay. and they were all sort of measured for a longer period for quite a long period of time and there was actually someone who was finishing their research um, and getting to the writing up stage of their PhD and they were going to be finishing their part of the network which was on the sort of southeast flank mm-hmm. so they needed someone to take over the project Ah, okay. So I, I, yeah, put my hand up and said, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take over the project of mapping this network, which had been going for, I think, at least about 10, 15 years wow. so far. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, oh, okay, I'll take it over and I'll measure that network. Um, and then I'll, and then I decided then, um, and I was working with a, um, a academic called Bill Maguire. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was sort of part of within, you know, sort of his project and his research um we were like putting some information together in terms of looking at he was looking at a lot more sort of catastrophic flank instability um and then I was really looking at the data collection um and how that could be achieved um and how things could be monitored so it's really then I then in order to look at the the technology and the methods that I was using um just working on one site wasn't wasn't enough. So then we brought in um, Peter yeah. Andalofones, which was amazing, amazing, mm-hmm. amazing place to go to. Um, and as a comparison, and there was also a third volcano, which was really nothing was happening on it at all. So that was another site which I could put a network on, um, have a look and see if there was any instability. But we suspected mm-hmm. that that one wasn't didn't have yeah. any. Um, and it had no monitoring at all. So that was going there completely afresh and setting up a new network. Mm. And that volcano, which I'm going to get, you, you just started me off and I'm just going to carry on going. No, 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 go that for it. that volcano fine. is the Cumbre Vieja La Palma, which started erupting about two weeks ago. So, oh, for the so first where's time, that one at? Um, so that's in the Canary Islands. So okay. another, so you're seeing a bit of a pattern of my uh, yeah. islands in different places. Hey, if you're going to do the work, you may as well find the nice spots to do it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so my third site was the uh, yeah, Cumbre Viejo Volcano in uh, La Palma, which is yeah mm. one of the sort of uh, one of the Canary Islands, which is just off Morocco. Um, okay. Some Spanish islands. So then I had to sort of, yeah, so that's Spanish, French, Italian. So I had a sort of three different cultures, three different languages. Mm. Um, yeah, working in different, different, although I don't speak very much Spanish at all. Um, so yeah, so I had to, so I set up a network there to have a look at um, if the volcano was stable during when there was no sort of visible activity, um, mm-hmm. and to look at the sort of any instability there. Um, yeah, okay. So when you started all this up, because I know you went back to uni mm. a second time. Yes. Yep. To go so back. To, were you yep. at uni then, or you were thinking, "I'm going to go back, so now I'm going to start collecting and working on," because I know that's what I have to do. Um, it was really. Um, I said after I after leaving the sort of you know finishing my degree. Um, and then so doing my honours project on the sort of volcanology and then deciding yeah. I wanted to get I wanted to learn more I didn't just want to to sort of you know I was studying when you start studying something you just realize how much you don't know mm-hmm. um, and I just wanted so to 
to learn more. So mm. I then yeah, so I spent, you know, sort of it's probably then a couple of years between finishing my degree and then really starting the PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was traveling a bit more and doing different things and then, yeah, doing, you know, working, sort of volunteering, helping out, you know, other people doing their research mm. um, and then putting together my program um, of the research, which I wanted to do. And also, as I said, it just coincided nicely with this, um, you know, with the monitoring of Aetna, which was, you know, this sort of vacancy appeared. Um, so then I went back and, yeah, started the PhD um and the data collection and then sort of it was a case of just building that in and um yeah making that into my own research yeah so how many years do you have to collect the research to be able to do your thesis project well that's it's a good, it's a good point it's a good point actually because a phd is usually three years yeah generally yeah. um however we had we had sort of funding which was going to go a little bit longer and I wasn't in any hurry to finish. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for me, the data set, were, it was really important to, to have quite a long data set. So I really needed yeah. something which was going to go for longer. So my, my PhD was actually, I think it was sort of five or six years mm-hmm. in total, um, mm-hmm. but that was... So when I sort of finished at the end, um, I then yeah, started working on some landslide analysis as well mm-hmm. um, while I was still writing up. So I was still sort of uh, heading off and, yeah, measuring, measuring stuff, <laughs> So which was, which was the main, uh, yeah, the main sort of uh, focus of my work was really just to do as much field work as I could um, and build on these data sets and look at the changes over you know, over the years, and I, you know, so I was, so I was going to Etna at least twice a year, mm-hmm. um, and I was going to La Palma twice a year, and I think reunion only actually did about three trips in total. Right. Um, so yeah, so I was sort of trying to to get as long a data set as I could, um, yeah, just to evaluate as well the to see what was moving and also evaluate the methods that I was using. Mm-hmm. When I first started, um, my the first time I sort of went up Aetna to measure my network, they gave me an old um, an old total station, and then and then I sort of set it up, and we were sort of you know I was learning how to use it, and I had other you know being mentored by the people that had been measuring the network before, and then all the cloud came down, and it just didn't read anything, and I'm like, this isn't any, good. <laughs> so, you know, it's like this is not the right tool for this, you know we we should be using GPS. So, and because I'd used the GPS in Hawaii, I was like, oh, I want to use GPS. And we had no GPS. Uh, there was no GPS available. So I sort of um, rung around all the universities in the UK mm-hmm. um, to find out who had, you know, a survey, you know, a, a survey degree and a cupboard full of GPS, um, which and were willing to lend to me um, to take off and go and learn how to use and go and use it with my network. So, mm. um, and my my supervisor was associated with UCL, and yep, so they lent me their GPS. Okay. So I sort of yeah again then had to modify what I was doing um, from you know this sort of total station network to then building it up to be a static GPS network. Yeah, yeah. So, because um, that was going to be my question about mm. um, using the the the, um, the EDM 
yeah. equipment and stuff there, how it would go. Yeah. Yeah. It's not great, but you've got the, so you've got the cloud which comes down. Um, mm. You know when you're working at altitude and it's sort of over three thousand meters, mm. it, the cloud comes down and you really can't see anything. And there's also a lot of the, you know, the sort of you know the vent from the volcano in, in Etna was actually you know it releases a lot of water vapor and gases and stuff, and that comes down on you as well. Um, and when that's not there and the sun comes out then you're reading across um, black lava. And mm. so the heat shimmer is immense. So, you know, it's then really, really hard to take your readings because of the heat shimmer. Mm. Um, so, it, yeah. So it's it hard just... to find that that balance. Of, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, so that's what I was sort of thinking when, mm. when you were sort of talking about that, was yeah. how, how it would actually yeah. work properly. Yeah. It's, and, yeah. And, and, I did. Yeah, it, it was, it's tricky. You have to sort of take a lot of repeat measurements um, just to sort of try and make sure that you're getting the right results. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So, and part of that, you know, I then, yeah, sort of started getting into GPS and how that works and how that could be used um, to, yeah, to do the ground deformation monitoring instead. Um, mm. So really, I just brought that in then and said, you know, my first, first meeting going, right, this is really good, but I don't actually want to use the equip, the, this equipment <laughs> that everyone's been using so far. I want to move it to GPS. I think um, that's probably a smart move. Mm. Um, and, how, how did you go with um, consistency in your readings and stuff like that? It, so I was using a Leica System 300. So mm -hmm. this is a long time ago. And long ago. And, and it was it was actually really interesting because my the first sort of work I did in the first sort of year was um, well, I suppose probably the first sort of few trips was all on Mount Etna. Um, and there was a consistent between the different sort of pro, the different sort of return visits, I was getting sort of 30 to 50 mil on mm. most of my points and I'd sort of written this whole thing about you know static GPS is only accurate to sort of you know 30 to 50 mil. Um, you know, applied in this technique. And then I, I was going to La Palma and I set up the network. And then when I went back to La Palma, I was getting like five mil. Oh, wow. So I'm like, oh, okay, hang on a minute. I've got five to 10 mil repeatability now using my technique. So what is going on on Etna? So, yeah. Um, so yeah, essentially Etna was just moving that much just on its own. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah, so I sort of, uh, what I'd put down to noise and sort of user error and, you know, mm. equipment error was actually background sort of, you know, background movement on the volcano. Mm. Um, and then reunion was, was sort of halfway in between. That was sort of doing okay. a very little bit, but, yeah, not, not very much. But, uh, yeah, it was interesting because, yeah, so La Palma came back as having, yeah, no movements at all. Oh. Um, and so I could sort of prove then that, uh, yeah, that GPS was as good as toll stations. <laughs> Mm. And you when applied in a static network. <laughs> I was going to say. I've been arguing ever since. Yeah, yeah, for, st yeah for doing a long static network, yeah. <laughs> RTK wasn't actually invented then, but mm -hmm. uh, that came, uh, yeah, that came after. Mm. It's uh, you, you will have that probably argument for the rest of your life for some people. I think so, yep, yep. <laughs> I know, and it's, it's sort of, it, it's again, it's about sort of the context of, uh, yeah, carrying an instrument up a mountain, setting it up. Yep. Um, you know, versus, yeah, do, using the GPS and setting that there for sort of, you know, four hours or whatever. It's, yeah, it's, it, 
sort of depends on how you do it but uh, mm. you know it's one of the things at least coming into the to the and working with you know mixed sort of mixture of surveying equipment I had a good idea of what you could get out of it mm. interesting and, yeah. so you did your study and you finished off your PhD yep and you then also had a postdoctorate in geological hazard monitoring. Is yeah. that all done at the same time, or you um, did that Yeah, I was sort again? of doing that. Probably, I, th- I, I think I did that for the last. I did it for. I did it for a year or a bit longer, <laughs> maybe two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, what I was doing there was setting up similar monitoring networks over landslides. Okay. Um, and I and I worked on a different Canary Island, so Grand Canaria. Um, and there was sort of a big landslide, potential landslide um, there. And also in um, a place called Tessina, which is just north of Venice. So, can I? beautiful places. And yeah, looking at, um, yeah, back again, sort of background movements um, between events, essentially. So, you know, is there any, is there any movement happening? Is there any sort of fracture zones? Is there any slipping um, in areas that's not being monitored in any other way? Um, Mm -hmm. And how you could use GPS really easily to sort of go in, um, set up a network and then go back and have a look at the network again. And then, yeah, just sort of see how, see if there has been any movement. And I think one of the sites in in Italy um, actually had, there was something ridiculous, like meters worth of movement um, that you couldn't see. So when you were sort of there and you were looking at this valley, you couldn't see mm. that it by, you know, just by looking, you couldn't tell it had moved that much. Um, but when you looked at the data, you could sort of, you know, you could actually then sort of see the movements and you could sort of see what the, the whole of this left flank had actually slipped. Um, but yeah, just wow. looking at the landscape, it was really hard to tell. And they actually had a, um, a monitoring jigger set up in a little hut mm-hmm. um, looking at the other flank. So it was sort of just looking over at the other side. And it was actually the so it was looking over to the right. And it was actually the left flank that had actually slipped. Oh, and they didn't believe me for ages. <laughs> <that it moved>. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I had to sort of show them and then show photographs of where I could sort of actually see the slip planes and such. And but uh, yeah, so that was uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that was it was interesting as well. Yeah. And then what happened after that? Yeah, then I, it, it was sort of, uh, at that point, I had to decide um, really of what I wanted to do. Um, mm. And, and it's sort of, it's, it's really sad that I was, I was really enjoyed traveling. I really enjoyed the field work. I was less sort of, um, less into the, you know, the sort of, theoretical side of the volcanology um, Mm -hmm. and why things were happening and what was going on and I was just really into the techniques and the equipment and how things really worked Um, yeah you know it's not a great thing to admit that yeah (laughs) that's a bit nerdy at this stage that you know you know that sort of I just thought you know I like playing with the equipment I like climbing mountains and it's like I could probably do that without having to sort of you know sit there pondering on you know, why the volcano might be moving in this way or that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I sort of, while I was thinking about it, um, I got a really temporary job at Leica, um, yeah. just on a six-month contract um, to <laughs> just help out with technical support. Mm-hmm. Although I didn't have the, you know, the sort of 
the you know formal survey backgrounds I did have a lot of really good field experience yeah. of what to do when you're out in the field what can go wrong what you know what you need to look out for what's important you know the and that that was really sort of where it started I think that plays a lot sometimes that um you can you know no no equipment and be able to give the advice but if you've actually been out there mm. yeah and used it and dealt with the problems and problem mm. solved and and you get such a better understanding of the equipment and how it does work and all that sort of yes. stuff that, yeah that, that someone you know who who may have been trained in how they work mm. wouldn't have that same experience so yeah. I think I've seen it before, you know, even in the surveying industry where there are people who haven't got any formal qualifications yet mm-hmm. they're out there surveying because they've been taught hands-on the whole time mm. yep. and can do everything or more that some of the people coming mm. out of, you know, the vocational education or yeah. or, or the universities because they've been doing it and honing their 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 skills and everything over mm. time with with surveyors who have taught them well yeah yeah no absolutely it's uh yeah it's sort of you know it's one of the things as well that I sort of realized then yeah how much I did know um mm-hmm. yeah and and certainly you know doing a lot of the background work on really you know assessing the accuracy of the GPS versus the Tolt station you know was mm-hmm. sort of something that yeah had given me a really good idea of the equipment um you know I had no idea about cadastral surveying and such <laughs> that, was, that was all quite new to me that you know and people would phone up and go right I'm surveying this car park and I'm like oh that sounds horrible <laughs> but uh, I shouldn't say that but no it's, it's, not, sort of say, it's not all bad it's not all no bad, it's okay. not and and every, and I I love it you know so I get uh you know obviously sort of working now you know, with surveyors that doing all manner of work and it's, you know, it's really, you know, and they sort of phone up and I, oh, I'm up here doing this. And it's like, I can really understand how exciting and how amazing that is to be, you know, working out sort of north of Omeo, you know, mm-hmm. doing a GPS survey, doing, you know, sort of, you know, and how a lot of people are just out there just enjoying their work because I, I get it, you know, and yeah. I understand it. I miss it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I often threaten to sort of come out and do some hands-on tech support if people are, you know, out in the field. And it's like, oh, especially at the minute being in lockdown, it's like, you know, I want to, oh. yeah, just sort of want to be out in the field and, you know, in some of these sort of remote areas and, yeah, yeah doing surveys. So, yes. I can imagine. So the six months. Yeah, that sort of lasted, uh, lasted till like now. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it kind of went from six months to, what are we, years. 20 years? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, it's not uh, bad. No, it it I think once I got there, the the whole sort of love of computing and stuff, should I mentioned before about the yeah, you know yeah, being into computer science. Yeah, so that that sort of I, that really came back and I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I like this. This is, mm-hmm. you know, this is a something which I could really get into and really enjoy. Um and yeah, it's it was I just found that I loved just sorting out problems and fixing yeah. finding solutions to you know different you know whether it was something out in the field or whether it's the software or whether it was you know someone's coordinate system or mm-hmm. whatever was sort of going you know gone wrong um you were there just to come in and sort of troubleshoot 
Yeah. And it was, yeah, it was just great fun. You know, you ha- it's, it's a lot to learn. You have to learn all the equipment, you know, as everything comes out. But I, yeah, it's just a, something which I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And I could still go and climb mountains in my own time. <laughs> <laughs> testing, it's yeah. called testing equipment. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, playing with it. But uh, yeah, no, I just found that I really loved it. And I just sort of was like, right, um, yeah, just didn't want to do anything else. Mm. And I'm so, still doing it. And yeah, you know, and I've and I've really that was a good um, choice. Yeah, I, I, I've mm. avoided changing what I'm doing. I've really avoided sort of you know. There's a very, it's a very sort of technical progression. I think a lot of surveyors would probably you know would see this that you you know you're out in the field and you're having the time of your life and you love it, and then all of a sudden you get promoted into the office, mm-hmm. and you're then you know phoning up people and you know sort of trying to get purchase orders and you're trying to organize projects and and you're not actually out there doing it um yeah or whether doing it's actually surveying and I know I'm not you know out doing the surveying but to me it was really important to to carry on you know with the tech support you know Mm. I didn't want to be chasing invoices in the office you know there's there's you know we've got amazing team who go and you know sort of really spend their time you know, focusing on getting the right equipment for the surveyors and, you know, that, that come to us and, and really just sort of working on, you know, bespoke sales in that sort of yeah. sense. And it's like, I don't want to be doing that. I don't, yeah, I just want to be, you know, at the other end when people have got the equipment and they're working with equipment, I want to be there, you know, making sure that everyone gets the best out of it and mm. helping fix the problems and, you know, sort mm. of all the bits that, you know, everyone messes, messes up in the field every now and then and, yeah, just trying to what? sort things out. <laughs> yes, they do. Yeah. So that's why I'm still still here, still yeah. doing what I love. Okay, so what brought you to Australia? Um, that's a good question. Um, not no, it was just really a change of scene. Um, okay. My my husband and I had both um, we met doing our PhDs, um, mm. and we both sort of wanted to do something different. And he had some family out here. So we decided to, rather than, you know, sort of just go traveling, we thought, oh, let's go and live out in Australia for a few years. Um, and he was looking to sort of to, to change what he was doing with his job. I was looking to do something which was had less travel because I was traveling an awful yeah. lot in the UK because mm-hmm. I was working like UK, I was traveling a lot. Um, so I decided to sort of, yeah, let's, you know, let's go over to Australia, perhaps I'll carry on working with Lycra equipment for a you know for a while and you know we'll and hopefully I won't travel quite so much and and we'll see where mm-hmm. we go and yeah and so I was lucky to be offered an opportunity um by CI Kennedy um mm-hmm. and they actually sponsored me to come out so you oh, know we, wow. yeah so they yeah, okay. they brought me out um um to help because they you know so they'd had the looking after Lycra for a few years um mm-hmm. and yeah they sort of wanted you know, needed sort of, you know, someone to come out, um, you know, sort of someone technical that could be work, you know, could assist with the equipment um, with technical support. So, mm-hmm. and once I got out here, the job was a, was very different. Um, working in doing technical support at like UK, um, I, I'm not sure how, but it was, it was a very sort of different role. Um, there it was a lot more sort of, you know, really telling people how to do things. Um, okay. Whereas here, it's you know everyone 
would sort of have a good go first. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, you know, which is we very much like, the Australian We don't like way. to be told we can't do something. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so it was, you know, and I, and I think that, you know, when I, when I got here, I basically realised very quickly that Australian surveyors press every single button, every single button. You know, I, I, I couldn't get away with just knowing half of what the equipment did. I had to know every single mm-hmm. thing. You know, mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's like people use Kogo. It's like, I don't think anyone in the UK used Kogo. You know, it's, but just all this stuff, everyone's <laughs> just like, oh my God. It's like, I, you know, it suddenly just really opened up into being, you know, a much bigger role, um, mm-hmm. more challenging. Um, and yeah, just was, yeah, just sort of pushed a lot harder. Um, and the traveling I did was, you know, in a new country. So yeah, it's sort of, I then, yeah, really fell back in love with the role, with the job again and was like, right, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, this is, this is it. Mm-hmm. Did you so move it, straight to, to Melbourne when you came over or? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Came straight uh-huh. to Melbourne. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, my husband had family here, so we yeah. came to Melbourne first. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just, that's it. We're now Melbourne people. <laughs> so we've <laughs> never lived anywhere else. Maybe, maybe one day, but, uh, mm-hmm. So um, did you get to travel around Australia at all for any of your work or just yes, in yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. I traveled um and did training um all mm-hmm. over. And I think within the within the first year I'd been to every state. Um and I'd oh, been wow. up to Darwin, I'd awesome. been to training in Alice Springs mm-hmm. and and uh, up to um up yeah in sort of far north Queensland and mm-hmm. yeah, just traveled everywhere. So nice. it was, you know, you know, right from the sort of grottiest mines and you know, some really challenging environments um, to, yeah, to sort of, you know, going to some conferences in, you know, beautiful cities. So, yeah, yeah, it was, it was really great. It was, yeah, it was Mm. just really amazing to sort of now be exploring a a new country. Mm. How did you find um, being a woman in that situation, going to those places? Because still, even back then, 18 Mm. years ago, um, not a lot. No, no, I think, I think because my, my experience working, doing my research and working Mm. on the volcanoes was very, you know, in academia as well, it's, it's, it really was very equal. It was, you know, there was the equality between the sort of male and female researchers and the work you were doing was, was actually really amazing. Um, And the people I worked with, didn't treat you any differently at mm. all. So I'd come from a space where I sort of was really used to just being treated as an equal um, yeah. and treated not being treated any differently at all. And having the experience of being in these really challenging environments. So walking into, you know, up going up to Blackwater and going into the, you know, and sort of some of the mines up there was mm. it. To be honest, I was sort of holding my own mentally um, and, you know, knowing as well that they needed me. (laughs) So they needed, you know, they needed my information. Yeah. So it, but it was, it was difficult. There was one mine I went to where I think the, I I was staying there for about three or four days um, and the only women I saw were behind the counter in the canteen. Yeah. Um, and I was staying in like the guest donger, which had they had no windows. It was just black plastic up against the hole that was the window. And it was in like guest quarters and it was just literally a metal box. Mm-hmm. 
and the guys around me they all had their doors open they no, you know they nobody cared you know they didn't have any uh, there's no privacy or anything and <laughs> you know you avert your eyes when you walk past the bathroom you know sort of uh, yeah. but you know it was like but I didn't you know I didn't find it intimidating mm. because you know I was sort of yeah I think I was because I was quite used to sort of travel yeah but it was surprising um and I was quite sort of saddened by the fact that there wasn't more women there um mm. and you know and I think I've been in the situation where I'd gone to a mine um and I wanted wanted to go down and they were like oh there's no women's like showers so you can't and I was like oh, okay <laughs> you know so it was like yeah literally you know it's like men only um but it it's changed a lot you yeah. know it really has and that's something which I'm you know which is really good and I you know it's great having you know women walk in every day with mm-hmm. equipment um and you know and it's yeah it's just not it's not you know it's not sort of you don't walk in you know if I walk into an office to do training I'm not just sitting in a you know in a room full of men there's there's going to be two or three women there um you know that which is really great and it's really isn't it so I always say two or three women (laughs) I know but you know it's it that I think you know it's better than none potentially change slowly but yeah it's something which is yeah which is changing over time Mm. but yeah it's it's surprising it's surprising the amount of females that I am starting to to hear about or or make contact with that Mm. are in the industry whether it's the you know the spatial side or the surveying side Mm. who might not necessarily be um you know a registered surveyor because we know there's only you know four three percent in new south Mm. wales and i think four percent in victoria sort of thing of females as Mm. registered surveyors i'm actually seeing a lot more um technical Mm. I haven't seen any untrained but there's more technical people that I've seen females yeah in the industry and stuff like that noticing there's more spatial women and stuff like that starting to get more involved and Mm -hmm. be a bit more vocal and stuff like that which yes nice to see yeah Um, absolutely absolutely and it's and it's something as well that if I go to you know, if I go to a conference or not, again, not, I've been to many recently or, you know, seminars <laughs> yeah. and such that yeah. it, it's really, you know, especially when you see sort of, you know, young female surveyors, mm. that, you know, obviously sort of, you know, when you see a whole group coming in from a certain company and there may be one or two, it's, it's always, I always make a point to go over and say hi mm. and just to make sure that, you know, that they know that they can you know that they're welcome and they can come and ask questions and yeah and yeah that you're sort of always yeah be there and happy to happy to help Mm. and just to make them realize you know it's nice just it's nice to see them there you know it's (laughs) (laughs) definitely yeah um so how at the moment is that side of the the technical and and stuff going at the moment with all the lockdown we've still got surveys mm. and people using yep. the equipment and all that sort of yes. stuff so um yep. you know is there a lot of where they you would normally or or your staff or whatever would normally go out and help or is it yeah. more just the phone technical because um it would have made it more difficult if that was yeah the case. it's i think we we're sort of used to doing a lot of remote support via yeah. the phone um 
but yeah there is a sort of and in some ways it's made it you know made you sort of not not just sort of from outside but the surveyors as well it's like you you know we can't just go out there so we have to work mm. out how to help them um mm. and and it's you know there's it's all very well sort of having you know there's technology now that you can jump on their controller or on their computer or whatever and you know sort of fix things but it it's sort of you know, people have to fix them themselves quite yeah. often. And it's like, okay, well, you would have come in to see me, but right, I'm going to talk you through this or I'll send you instructions and you're going to learn how to do it yourself, you know, whether it's resetting some equipment or, yeah. you know, sort of, yeah, just making some changes to something. Mm. So it, in some ways it's been, you know, making upskilling that, you know, the, the yeah. sort of surveyors, you know, they've, they've now got to do this extra work themselves. Mm. Um, we do do a lot of stuff on FaceTime or on, yeah, so sort of jumping onto the controller and, you know, helping out and seeing what they're doing. Um, mm. But, yeah, we can't really do much face-to-face. Um, mm. But um, we're still, we still have to, we're actually um, in the office a little bit um, if we have to configure equipment sort of thing. So we, you know, even sort of, during lockdown we're still servicing equipment we still have to keep everyone yeah. working you know there's a lot yeah. of essential industries that are still working mm. um and yeah we have to have a couple of people in to make sure that everything is still so you know the equipment's getting configured as you know as it needs to going out the door or you know assisting people that come in mm. you know so it's sort of something that we've still been working on still still been working with and also setting up remote making sure that people have access to remote training um, yeah. You know, there's in New South Wales recently, there was, you know, lots, lots of people suddenly sitting at home and, uh, you know, sort of phoning up and wanting training um, on the software. So we could then mm. run training courses for, you know, sort of for all the surveyors that were suddenly sort of sent home and, you know, working from home. So yeah. it was a good opportunity to do some training. And how, how did you do that through webinar type sort of thing? Yes. Or, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, either sort of like a sort of a webinar or doing um, just a company session sort of using, mm-hmm. you know, Teams or something like that. Yeah. Um, just to sort of run training or also just, you know, showing people where, you know, a lot of our software has training courses built in okay. um, so they can just run through those courses. Um, and also just we've, you know, a lot of, again, if people are at home, um, then we've been offering software licenses with training. So, you know, they, so, you know, a lot of the universities have all their licenses, you know, all, all sort of, you know, tied up in, in, lab, in labs at, you know, the university. Mm, yeah. And, you know, and that's all on campus. And we needed to actually then make licenses available to students. So we've done a bit of work with students, um, you know, with the software and also remote accessing into total stations using, you know, sort of putting them online and having cameras and all sorts of things. So, yeah, there's been some interesting technologies (laughs) happening (laughs) with that. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I suppose it's good that, you know, you can find ways to do things because otherwise that just would have shut the whole the whole yes. thing down, wouldn't it? Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Especially yeah. with say with the students, with the survey students, you know, that's mm. that's something that, you know, imagine, you know, doing a survey degree where you're you're not on campus, you know, it's a very hands-on course. Yeah, it is. It um, is. It would make it very difficult yeah. for sure. Yeah, definitely. So. I'm glad I'm not one of them, that's for sure at the moment. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's so uh, yeah, so it's actually been quite, you know, it's been it's actually been quite interesting um mm. 
and yeah, it has changed things slightly. And, you know, there's people that we used to see all the time that we rarely see now, <laughs> you know, they don't come in and yeah. So, you know, people are just uh, all, you know, very much sort of in their own, in their own place and um, mm. not, yeah, not traveling around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the technology has changed a fair bit since you started working mm. with yep. GPS. Yes. How, how do you see it moving forward sort of? Like there's um, been, so, there's been yeah. so many changes like you know you see all the stuff that's happening with the scanning yes know, the scanning yeah. side and all that sort of stuff yeah no absolutely it's yeah it's sort of uh yeah it certainly has changed it, I suppose the fundamentals haven't sort of you know changed with the GPS but then you've got you know you've got GPS and you've got GLONASS and Galileo and Baydow and you know all the other constellations mm. and and it's very much, I think, now you're really looking at the sort of quality of the signal over the quantity. You know, mm -hmm. in the old days, you know, you'd literally have to sort of stand on top of the hill trying to find, you know, more than five satellites. <laughs> whereas, you know, whereas now you stand out and you've got 40 satellites. Yes. So yeah. a lot of the algorithms are really working on using that data, um, you know, sort of more intelligently um, mm -hmm. and getting a better result using, you know, sort of, and being more, you know, sort of discerning, if you like, on the on what signals are picked up, and also um, with the GPS now, it's a, and it, you know, it's it's amazing with the tech where the technology has gone in terms of the imaging. You, you mentioned about scanning, mm. you know, our GP, our GPS receivers, you know, collect images now. So mm. whether you're building clouds or just using, you know, sort of the photos from each of those images, it, it makes it a, you know, very different very different type analysis you know when, when I think again back to the work I did where you'd end up with just a effectively a you know a, some baselines and distances on a map you know on a you know on a sort of you know on a sheet of paper whereas now everything's in 3D you know you're turning your network around you're looking at mm. you know all the different sort of and then you've got images and you've got point clouds um, and, and really also just working with all the data sets together um, so everything's all combined in um, without really sort of thinking too much about it. And you can be working with data and not really thinking about, you know, where it came from. You know, it's sort of, you know, whether it's, you know, you've obviously, you know, you've got a com combination of different bits of equipment and it's all sort of joined together to create one large data set. And you can be looking at it going, oh, is that from a BLK or is that from a drone or from a, you know, a GS-18i? So it's sort of really... You know, as I said, scanning um, an image collection and just building that into, you know, one data set within itself. Um, and that's been really great as well. And it's, you know, it's something which I'm, you know, I've spent a lot of time, you know, looking at, you know, processing drone data and going back to mm -hmm. sort of, you know, photogrammetry type work. And it's, yeah. yeah, and it's sort of, and that's probably something which I hadn't done since my, you know, since my degree. Um, mm -hmm. And, but it's, yeah, it's been really interesting looking at how, how that, that sort of processing works and how that data is collected. And, you know, sort of all of a sudden I'm learning about different camera focal, you know, sort of settings and things. So, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's sort of new new skills and, um, yeah, new techniques. So it's, it's yeah, it's really, it's it's good. And I think that that's, that will only improve. Yeah. And I think like a lot of things that, you know, like a lot of the way that technology has gone, you sort of, you know, you've got something which is super precise. And then all of a sudden someone brings out, you know, some sort of, you know, a drone or something and go, oh, it's brilliant. But you go, yeah, but how accurate is it? You know, how, how you know, what can we actually get out of that? Mm -hmm. so it's really, you know, it is sort of, 
taking something and going, okay, well, is this, how can we use this as a surveyor? Is it really accurate enough for what we're doing? You know, if we've got our one second instrument, we're not going to be, you know, we, how, how does that work together? So, you know, it, it's really trying to use the right equipment for the right job the and, right see job. How, and see yeah. how these things fit together. And, and also, you know, m- working as well between, you know, with machine control, also with GIS data collection mm, mm-hmm. and then thinking, okay, well, if it's not, you know, let's see how that works in this field and, and yeah, and just sort of trying to, to sort of merge those, you know, spatial industries, I suppose, in together. So then, you know, that we all talk together, you know, mm. and it's not sort of separate. I think, you know, it, it's it's been going that way for a while now that you sort of have to grab it and go for the ride and, and yeah. be a part of it. Otherwise, you're sort of going to be left on, on yes. the edges, aren't you, <laughs> when it comes to, yeah. to all the technology and understanding mm. what it does and how it can be used for yeah. something else and, yep. and making sure that whatever it's being used for that, you know, those people understand or, or they yes. have the surveyors yeah. involved to be able to, mm. yeah. to get it to work properly. Yes, and make sure it's accurate enough for what you want. It's all about, you know, that when, you know, I've talked to people a lot and they're like, oh, you know, I don't know, what shall I, how shall I measure this? And it's like, well, what's your spec? You know, what, what's yeah. your accuracy do you need? And then start with that and then work from there, you know, yeah. and it's, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a big thing that people don't quite understand sometimes is the, what sort of accuracy are you after? Is it the millimetre yeah. you're after or is it, yes. you know, your two and a half centimetres or it is it a yeah. metre? What are you doing? What do you need the data yeah. for? <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. And you don't, and you also, you know, you never quite know that, you know, people often say, oh, it's like, oh, I really don't need it that accurate. Only, you know, it's got it, t- 10 centimetres is fine. And then you go, what about height? Oh, oh yeah, we need 10 mil for that. <laughs> and you go, okay, well, that. <laughs> That's that's like the important one there. You need to that's, tell us yeah. that first. Yeah, probably yeah. need that. The ten centimeters will be fine. It's it's the ten <laughs> million height that's the uh, key, the key thing here that we need to work for. So mm. yeah, absolutely. Asking the right questions. Yeah, exactly. What um. So do you get non-surveyors? Many non-surveyors. Mm, we get a few contacting you. <laughs> yeah. 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 We we do. Um, and it, yeah, we do get non-surveyors that sort of, and that, I suppose that's part of the game working with dis- different disciplines. But yeah, mm. we we'll, we do get non-surveyors sometimes phoning up, and they're like, "Oh, you know, I've been the surveyor's been charging me to do this job, and I can do it myself. I want to buy some equipment." And that's really where the sales team come in. Mm. Um, and there, there has been a few occasions where you sort of like, "Don't sell them anything." <laughs> <laughs> not this one you can't <laughs> so I shouldn't say it. but you know it's like you but yeah occasionally you're like okay yeah you you know we you know you you would talk to them and if it's if it's really you know what exactly do you want to do how are you going to do this job how are you going to tie it into control mm. and there have been occasions where we've essentially said to someone look you'll be rather than doing that you'd be better off you know hiring a surveyor I can get you in touch with someone who's really good who's in your area who would be a really good person to work with um otherwise sometimes you know if someone you know is maybe doing some you know sort of environmental sort of survey and it's like okay well you know a GIS unit or just a GPS rover where you know it can be pretty much sort of configured to work with SmartNet or with you know with a network GPS Mm -hmm. um to go and collect data then yeah we can sort of set up 
to, you know, sort of for non-surveyors and just sort of make sure that they know their checks and balances and they know what they need to, to check on and what they need to be doing. Um, but yeah, it depends on the job. Yeah, it depends on the job. Yeah. But yeah, it's, yeah, we, we've, yeah, it's, and I do sort of say as well that, you know, sort of, yeah, it's like, don't, you know, we do try to sell, to, you know, we try and sort of sell the right thing for the right, for the right person. Yeah. Which does mean sometimes that someone will want to buy something that they don't know how to use. And we do have to sort of steer them in the right direction. Mm. Oh, I could imagine you probably get a few of those sometimes. <laughs> oh, we, we do get people phoning up for GPS thinking they cost sort of, you know, it's like, oh, you know, is it like a couple of hundred bucks? And it's like, no, <laughs> yeah, a little bit more than that. <laughs> okay. A yep. bit, bit yeah. There. It's like, yeah, yeah. just buy Disto, yeah. you'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want to measure a distance? Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. We've got a tool for that. <laughs> yeah. um, so... So now, um, what was your title again? National, uh, yeah. Oh, so, so National thanks for, yeah. technical support and training manager. Yes. Um, how did you did you end up at that position? And and because you're obviously in control of a few teams now, I would. Yeah, so I have, yeah, so I think when I first started, I was, yeah, I think it was really just me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, sort of, the, I, I like to think that the, the value was then sort of seen. So, you know, very much yeah. sort of showed how important it is to have that backup, mm-hmm. to be able to offer the sort of after, after sales sort of support, but also to enable the salespeople to, to grow and to, to learn more about the equipment as well. And also to let them do what they do best, um, which is sort of, you know, finding the right equipment for the, for the right person. Mm-hmm. So it sort of is something which is really, you know, you can see the value with being returned on having support people. So we then had, um, essentially we've got, so we've got sort of two guys over in WA, two up in Queensland, um, one guy in New South Wales. I've got a colleague I work with in Victoria. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in some of the other states, there's people who we we help them. Um, they don't have a dedicated support person in like yeah, South okay. Australia or NT, but we mm-hmm. we assist with them um, and Tasmania, and we assist and then sort of provide additional support and training and sort of fly into those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's so it's sort of something that of you know I was sort of as the team sort of developed, and there was a few different people that came in and sort of headed up the support team. But the, but then they sort of used it as you know used it, but it was often then a launch pad onto you know other management positions. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and then I sort of I stopped and had had a couple of kids, and mm-hmm. um, you know sort of took took maternity with them, um, and then came back sort of on a more part time role, um, and then at that point there was you know people were moving on and it was there was needed then for someone to step back into that role mm-hmm. again you know I think for myself it was you know I wanted to do that role yeah um but not to move away from it not to you know I mentioned before that I don't yes. want to don't, don't want to move move into an you know into a sort of away <laughs> from support you know I was very much looking to to sort of stay within that role and very much an active working mm-hmm. part of that um and also you know, the technical support people are very, by nature, are very independent. 
are very mm-hmm. self-motivated mm-hmm. and like fixing things and like, you know, sort of a challenge. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and don't like, in my experience, to be micromanaged. And I don't like micromanaging anyone. So for me, it was very much, a, okay, let's be a team. You know, I'm not going to be standing over you, you know, sort of, I, I expect all of you, I expect everyone in my team to, to learn their equipment, yeah. to learn, to, to find things that they love um, and focus on. Mm-hmm. And if, if you want to go off and specialize in monitoring or you want to specialize in, you know, cause networks, go for it, you know, develop yeah. that, that side of, you know, mm-hmm. of the business of that, of that sort of support. Mm-hmm. So very much encouraging, encourage my team to sort of find their passions within the, you know, within the whole of the equipment yeah. um, and really sort of focus on that. And I've actually, you know, the, my team have been around for a long time. You know, there's not much of a turnover. So, well, which yeah. shows that um, they're in a job that they love and they work with good people. Yeah, and we talk. We all talk, mm-hmm. sort of, you know, very often. So, you know, yeah. sort of almost sort of daily. And mm-hmm. and and you know, no, not everyone's expected to know everything. You know, everyone has their things that they they know more about. Um, but then, you know, they they are expected to be on the end of the phone for someone else in the support team. Yeah. Um, you know, so for a quick phone call to say, you know, how do I do this? Um, you know, or can you take this call? Someone's phoning mm. up and they're asking very specific questions about something. You, you know, this is this is your basket. You take this one. I'll, you know, throw another one to me later sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah we do, you know, so you may phone up in, you know, phone up me in Melbourne and I'll go, no, actually, you need to talk to the guy in Queensland or, you know, there's a guy, the guys in WA you know, they, they came out the mines originally, you need to talk to them, they'll be able to give you, you know, information about the, you know, underground stuff. And so yeah, we do, we do sort Mm. of share that spread our knowledge around and try and sort of share our information. Yeah, which is, you know, it's not a bad thing, because you can't be an expert at everything. No, 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 absolutely. So to to find that niche that that you Mm. enjoy, and, and work on that, yeah. And be an expert in that. Yeah. You know, it's it's not a silly thing. Mm. And when you've got a team that are happy to, yeah. to work in that environment, it's a good thing. And I and I think pretending you're an expert doesn't work. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, so you'll get caught up very quickly. <laughs> definitely. So that's something I really say, you know, it's like if you don't know, it doesn't matter. Just yeah, find someone else that does know. And and anyone knows that if they phone up tech support, you sometimes do get the answer of I really don't know. I'm gonna have to go find someone that knows that answer yeah. and I'll get back to you. Yeah. You know, and it's it's not, you know, there's no sort It's better of, than being uh, stuffed around for yes, yeah. half an hour or an hour to yeah, absolutely. With a, you're still back where you started from and yes. more frustrated. So yeah. Well that, that does happen mm-hmm. sometimes, but yeah. <laughs> no, definitely <laughs> no, we do try and uh, yeah, to do try and be as sort of as straightforward and uh mm. and honest nice. as possible. Yeah, nice. Who's had the biggest impact on your career? Um oh. It's difficult to say, um, you know, probably the, I think in terms of, the, you know, originally it would be the sort of key people that I work with, you know, sort of in volcanology of John Murray mm-hmm. and Bill Maguire. Um, since then, since moving into CR Kennedy, I'm not sure. I, w- I would actually say probably in the sense of what I'm doing now, I would say that I have had the biggest <laughs> influence on my career <laughs> because I've really followed what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, nice. And, yeah, and hadn't, haven't really had much of an external sort of, mm. 
you know, being pushed, you know, it's, mm. it's been, and CR Kennedy are a great company for allowing you to develop in that sort of way and, and really focus on what is, what you're good at and what you want mm-hmm. to do. Mm. Nice. What's the best work advice that you've ever heard? Ooh, I think the best work advice is to always know the things that you don't want to learn or that you don't you don't know you don't understand make it a good point to go and understand it because someone is going to ask Mm. you and it will come back and bite you Mm. (laughs) so you know you can avoid you can avoid a particular sort of tricky topic um you know of of whether it's you know it's sort of I'm trying to think of a a good example of uh, probably scale factors a good one there of uh, (laughs) trying to (laughs) you know it's like and and that was sort of an early on one going and I think I avoided it for years going oh and then I'm like no I'm just gonna have to nut this out because it's yeah yeah Mm -hmm. someone it just keeps coming back you know so yeah just just learn those things because they will come back and they will bite you (laughs) (laughs) What, uh, what motivates you? Um, oh. I, it's difficult to say. I think I, I'm a naturally quite a motivated person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I love my job. I love, yeah. you know, getting into work and, you know, just not knowing what I'm going to be doing and then just getting, you know, a phone call and going, right, let's go. You know, what's, mm-hmm. what's you know, what are we going to be you know, looking at today. And and I think really, you know, so probably, you know, in that sort of sense in my work, um, it's not so much of being motivated as just just waiting for the challenges. Yeah. You know, that I suppose just yeah. the anticipation of uh, of what's coming next and the unknown and not knowing mm-hmm. if someone's going to pick up a phone and ask me about scale factoring. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but could you answer them now? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can now. <laughs> uh, what do you do to relax? Uh, uh, to relax, reading, big mm-hmm. reader. Um, mm-hmm. I cycle to work every day purely so I can read my book on the little bike punt that I um, take across the across the river to work. Because, um, yeah, and, that, and if I don't ride, then I'm like, I need to read my book like on the uh, so that's so that's a big reason why I don't drive to work because I can't read my book in the car when I'm driving (laughs) um I also like I love walking um Mm. I mentioned sort of long distance walking but I like walking anyway um yeah yeah, taking the dog for a walk just yeah Mm. walking with friends um yeah absolutely that's Mm. um I don't really do running so don't do that but yeah walking Oh, I, I do do Zumba. I love Zumba, actually. That would be another way that I like to relax. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that would uh, certainly be those things. Cool. Uh, where would you go back in history to if you had the chance? Oh, that's, uh, that's a difficult question. Um, I think if we're, if we're sort of taking aside all ideas that I could sort of, you know, go back and try and change history for the better or anything like that. Yes. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's, assume, let's put that aside because otherwise we will be here all night. Um, no, I do uh, want to go to bed tonight. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I would like to go back in to Regency England, I think, to the, you know, sort of to the, 
Yeah, to, to go back, I mentioned that I like reading, but to go back to the, um, yeah, to go back to the Regency times and go to a ball and go and see, you know, all the people and all the glamour of, uh, mm. yeah, Regency England. I think that would be fun. <laughs> no. Okay, so you like to read books. So what would be the title of your memoir? Oh, um, <laughs> Uh, oh, have I got a? Have I got a? Yeah, have I got a? <laughs> don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, that's. I'm going to be thinking about that for weeks now. Okay. Can I come back to you in a couple you of weeks? Can come, that yeah, you can come. You can come back to me. I'll just put it in the show notes. Later. Yeah, <laughs> put it into my introduction. Yes. <laughs> At a party, where could someone find you? Uh, I would be probably standing next to the buffet. Mm -hmm. So I've got good access to the, you know, sort of to the food um, and probably talking to a lot, talking to as many people as I could. <laughs> and probably that's probably why I'm by the buffet as well, not just for the foods, but so I can capture people as they walk past and uh, corner them. Yep. <laughs> corner them. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. funny. It's got a, a double thing there. That's good. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> what advice would you give your younger self? Oh, um, just to, I think my advice to my younger self would be to have a go and always just aim high, you know, mm -hmm. just, just go and, and do what you want to do. You know, mm -hmm. just, if you something you want to do in life, just go and do it, make it happen. Make it happen. Um, nice. And also another piece of advice, which I often give to my kids as well, um, is to always be good to your future self and your past self. So oh. always be good to your past self so you leave yourself with good memories mm -hmm. and be good to your future self in the sense that set yourself up to succeed in the future. So if there's something that you want to be doing in, the, in sort of, you know, in the future, so don't do anything that jeopardizes your future happiness. Yeah. So in terms of how good you advice. live your life. Mm. Um, I'm not a particularly risky person in terms of what I do um, mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day basis, but that's something yep. I really live by is, yeah, just, just be good to your future self and make sure mm. that you look after them. Mm. Never really heard that one before. <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, three words that would describe you. Ooh. Adventurous, mm -hmm. optimistic and sensible. Because I am pretty sensible as well. <laughs> if those things can mix together. <laughs> Besides walking around volcanoes. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yes, exactly. But, but I'm sensible while I do it, so that's okay. Yeah, yeah that's fair. <laughs> um, what's the first thing you notice about someone when you first meet them? Um, ooh. Probably... I'm not I, I'm not a good person for I'm not brilliant at recognizing people or that I've met because I often don't like visually sort of take in like mm -hmm. look at people that much so I can meet someone mm -hmm. and talk to them and it's more about what they're saying and how I and the conversation okay. I have yeah. um, rather than necessarily what they look like I've, I'm mm -hmm. good at talking to people and then someone's saying oh you know that guy and I'd be like oh and they go oh, did he was it did he have brown hair was it him and I'd be like I have no idea <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't yeah I'm not very good at sort of yeah so it's definitely would be nothing visual um no. probably yeah. more on what they were saying or what they were talking about 
Cool. Um, what is one item that you could never live without? Oh, it would, apart, apart from a handy book um, and also some lip balm, um, <laughs> probably those two things, actually. I think I'd be fine just with a book and lip balm. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be in heaven. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so I don't think I need anything else. It's cool. <laughs> what makes you smile? Um, uh, probably, uh, it's going to sound corny if I say my family. <laughs> my family, I think, yeah. you know, that's, mm-hmm. yeah, just, um, yeah, just being, I, I think being in, in lockdown again, you know, having teenagers that have to stay in with you rather than going out with their mates, you know, it's been really nice sort of getting to know them more, you know, mm-hmm. at a time where they were, you know, they mm-hmm. probably, you'd just be seeing the back of their head as they run out the door. Yeah. Um, it's been really nice just, yeah, although I think they've probably liked it less, but, yeah, hanging out with the family. <laughs> it's, um, it's funny. I just had a friend um, um, say that and she sort of put a thing up on her Facebook page yeah. and it was this morning that she put it saying that, you know, um, it, it, you know, it hasn't been fun and all that sort of stuff, but what she's taken out of it is that she has got to spend all that quality time mm. with her husband and her yeah. kids that yeah. she wouldn't normally have got to spend with them. So yeah. it's always the bright side, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Are you organised or messy? Um, a bit of both. Mm-hmm. A bit of both. Yeah. Um, I'm, I can, if I'm sort of really busy doing stuff, then yeah, mess seems to sort of accumulate around me. <laughs> um, and then I'll sort of clear everything up again um and then yeah and then sort of uh, so there'll be little pockets of mess where I've sort yes. of been through and then <laughs> and then other sort of areas which are yeah which are more organized and tidy mm-hmm. although some mm-hmm. of my organization is only organized it's sort of very organized in my mind but uh, I spend a lot of time then having to explain to someone how I've organized something so so maybe yeah, it's, it's not so organized I'm very organized <laughs> but yeah but only only in my perception of that mm-hmm. <laughs> What would you do if you didn't have to go to work tomorrow? Oh, if I didn't have to go to work tomorrow, probably, uh, am I, can I get, I was going to say, I'm in lockdown. Uh, am I in lockdown or can I not no, go to work and no, not be in lockdown? No, let's forget about Okay, lockdown. cool, thank let's you. Let's forget about if, we, if we're still sort of talking local, I would say get in my camper van uh, with at least my husband, um, possibly the kids if they wanted to come, and just go out for the day. So that that would definitely be yeah take the sort of yeah take camper van and my husband and kids dog, and head out, get out. into the bush and go for a walk, mm. and perhaps stop for a pie in a Linda and maybe stop at the pig and whistle as well. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, definitely go off go off exploring and then camp under the stars. Camping camping out in the camper van would be uh, oh, nice. yeah would just be awesome. Mm. Would yeah. be nice, wouldn't it? And some nicer weather though, because it was so cold in Melbourne today. <laughs> oh, it was cold in Sydney too. Raining, cold. Yeah. yeah, horrible. Yeah. So if I can have nice weather as well, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather have a get out of jail card or a key that opens any door? Um uh, probably a key that opens any door. Mm. I think my uh, my sensible, cautious nature doesn't sort of put me in jail very often. So <laughs> I think I think it would be a yeah a key to open new doors. If you see a puddle on the ground, do you walk around it? 
Jump oh, over no. it or jump in it. Straight in the middle. I've, yeah. I was, uh, yeah, I've, <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I was sort of uh, very renowned when I was younger. And I actually taught, I taught my daughter how to do it as well, that if you've got a really big puddle, you jump straight into the middle, you keep your legs together and your ankles together and you just impact the middle of the puddle and everyone else around you gets wet and you stay really dry. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, that's uh, so cool. so, yeah, that's, that's, I know exactly what I do on that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. Do you regret your decisions on um, your choices so far? No, I think I'm, because I'm a naturally, I've said I'm sort of quite naturally optimistic. So I think by the time that I've made a decision on something, then I make sure that it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And mentally by that time, I'm usually right. That's, that's the right thing to do. Um, so I think there's, if, and if I do have any regrets of any decisions I've made, I try and sort of learn from them yeah. um, and take it as a learning experience of, you know, mm. sort of, you know, that, that flat you didn't buy when the price seemed like a really expensive yeah. and now, now you can put an extra naught on the end yeah (laughs) so yeah that's you think oh you know with with hindsight yes but you know at the time it was a decision I had to make so (laughs) all right that's the hard-hitting questions we're done so now I've got some quick shots okay so it's just the hot cold yes no whatever you think one or the other kind of thing so this is easy (laughs) tea or coffee uh it depends on time of day oh me too <laughs> um probably tea coffee in the morning and the rest of the day just endless sort of tea continuously mm. oh you're a pommy aren't you yeah <laughs> <laughs> cat or dog uh both but cat yep yeah okay yeah sunrise or sunset um ooh, sunrise i think Summer or winter? Uh, autumn. <laughs> autumn, yep. I think you're the second person to choose something different, summer or winter. <laughs> Roller coasters, love or hate them? Love them. Mm, nice. Three items you'd take to a desert island? Um, uh, I'm, I watch Survivor a lot, so this again could go for a long time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would take a flint so I could start fire. Mm-hmm. Um, I would take an axe so that I could chop down some wood and I would take my favourite sleeping bag, which I do not travel without if I'm going camping, which I've had for 25 years and it's like one of my favourite possessions. Wow. It's a really good one. It's going strong. <laughs> yes. Going strong. Favourite song? Um. Rage Against the Machine, Killing in the Name. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Favourite movie? Um, oh, two that I like, which are quite different. I'm going to have to say both of them would be A Room with a View, which I loved, and, oh. and The Matrix. Oh, I haven't actually read The Matrix. Uh, watched, uh, sorry, watched The Matrix. Uh, oh, I no, I watched it. it a long, long time ago. I think I would just mm. sort of. I don't know. I think I have to go back and watch that one again. Yeah. I, I loved it. When it came out, It to me, it was so unique mm. and so amazing. I think now it's the techniques have been done and the sort of the style has been copied and replicated in other films. Um, mm. But when it first came out, it just blew me away. I just loved it. 
loved it. I have such a bad memory when it comes to movies and stuff. Like, yeah. <laughs> have I seen that one? <laughs> Whereas my husband can basically say every line out of nearly every movie that's come out. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't like re-watching movies that much. Mm. Um, I'm not, you know, I don't, there's only a few movies that I have watched a, over and over again. Um, and that's not necessarily my favourite movies. There's some movies which I love. I mean, I've watched all the Star Wars films many times and Princess Bride many times. Um, but <laughs> those ones I think I'd say would be my favourite films. Yeah, yeah. Uh, favorite book? Um, oh. That would be difficult. That's going to be yeah. That's really yeah. that's really Do, really hard. What about artist? Is there an artist, a, a writer that? Um, you I've prob- I could. Sort of I've got um, probably favorite books in every genre. So <laughs> <laughs> I really so it's it's really hard to. I actually had my favorite book as a password on. I, I think it's on like a not a bank account but it's something and and it was then the question was what's your favorite book and I am literally locked out of that account because <laughs> I've just gone through every book which I thought it was oh, and no. I yeah Oops. and I'm like because it just changes every day um mm. or every year and I've yeah it's it's too hard it's too hard I've got I've got a hundred favorite books I could imagine I could imagine <laughs> introvert or extrovert um I'd probably say extrovert. I always thought I was an introvert, but I don't think I am. <laughs> <laughs> Is your glass half full or half empty? Oh, definitely full. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, one thing you'd never do again. Uh, um, ooh. Not not buy that unit. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah but, um, ah, I don't know. Okay. I can't think of anything that I've really done like that that I've thought, no, I'll never do that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. If you had a warning label, what would it be? Um, probably do not let this person organise a long walk unless you are willing to go for a long way. <laughs> I organise walks <laughs> with my friends and, uh, yeah, they've, it's been – I think I did one, it was like 28K, oh. and I lost half of them like halfway. But oh. – uh, now I have a get out spot on all of the walks. I organize walks with like people and it's like, now I have a get out point now where mm-hmm. it's like we go halfway and anyone that wants to leave at that point and go back and, you know, start, uh, you know, chilling out for the rest of the day, they can do that. And then, yeah. And then, yeah, the whoever wants to carry on. Hardcore can keep going. <laughs> Definitely. Who knows you best? Um, probably I would say my husband. Um but also my my kids know me better than you know they mm. they know me really well and sometimes they surprise me with their insight into yeah how well they know me which I love mm. which is yeah mm. which is really cool what was your favorite subject in school um oh, probably the computing I think yeah, yeah. favorite food uh ooh, uh Tapas, I think, Spanish tapas. Nice. Favourite drink? Um, uh, it probably depends what I'm eating. But <laughs> um, tea, drink a lot of tea. Um, mm. But if I could have a nice glass of red as well, a nice glass of Pinot Noir, that would be good. Nice. Pet peeve? Um, ooh, what annoys you? What annoys me? <laughs> um, 
that many things annoy me. Um, I think I don't like uh, I don't like bad drivers, um, but I think everyone probably <laughs> probably says that. Probably talk on their that. phones when they're meant to be driving, and oh. you know, I wish I could sort of uh, yeah. I do tend to sort of. Uh, I'd like to be able to sort of, you know, dob people in when they're doing that when I mm. when I see them. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, nah, don't like that. <laughs> Win the lottery or the perfect job? Um, I don't actually do the lottery because it, it's I'd spend too much time thinking about what I'd spend the money on. I would say the perfect <laughs> job um, because I think even if I won the lottery, I'd still want to have the perfect job. Mm-hmm. Biggest fear. Um. Probably something, I think, you know, when you have kids, I think, yeah, yeah, just something happening to them. Um, Mm. Yeah, it's the, yeah, I think it's sort of every parent's biggest fear. You know, that's, that sort of goes above any fear that you have for your, for yourself. Um, So definitely. Very there. Favourite sport? Um, To watch probably AFL. Um, Big Richmond fan, love going to oh, see the Tigers. Say, you, you, <laughs> you are just entrenched. Oh, absolutely, now, absolutely. <laughs> yes, yeah, I love going. I love big the Richmonds, events. the Tigers. Yes, yes, brown yeah. and yellow. Yes, yeah, uh, mm. yeah, red and red and yellow. Um, oh, red and yellow. Sorry, yeah, that red and yellow. Oh, I'm saying yellow and black. Oh, yes, <laughs> I was okay. Yeah, yes, I was okay. Thing going. No, that's not red. Hang not on, red. I'm, I'm thinking you said red. Yeah, no, yeah, red and yellow. Yellow. Yeah, no. <laughs> No, you're not a real (laughs) Melbourneian. Yes. (laughs) Morning or night person? Um, I would say morning. I, Mm -hmm. yeah, fall asleep too early. (laughs) On a scale of one to ten, how cool are you? Oh, um, I think my kids would disagree, but I would say seven. Nice. Yeah. Don't put me lower, by the way. Oh, they put you lower? (laughs) Definitely. I suppose most kids. Yeah, no, I'm cool. Yeah, nice. I like that. Dream car. Um. Ooh. Mm, Would well, camper van, which I have. So yeah. (laughs) But I I think. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Favorite color. Uh, green. Apple or Android. I think you say apple or orange. Um. Why is she going with Android and apples? <laughs> uh, Apple. Apple. Yeah. Hmm. And lastly, what star sign are you? Uh, I'm, I'm actually directly between two star signs. So I'm between a Virgo and a Libra. Ooh. Literally right okay. in the middle. If right you, the, yeah mm-hmm. and when I was a teenager and you sort of into these things you you know I looked it up and and then I was like oh I'm in between what do I do and then I looked up the time I was born and I'm like no nah, I'm definitely in the middle so that's the half organized half sort of yeah. balance thing yeah so yes. it's uh yep. yeah that's where that, that makes, comes from yeah that <laughs> totally makes sense <laughs> <laughs> well that is it we are done thank you so much for joining me today no thank you for having me that's been um, fun and we can find you on LinkedIn, yes? Yes, yep, mm-hmm. yep, absolutely. Um, any causes or charities or anything you want to sprout while we're here? Is there anything you like to support? Um, probably lots of different things, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, it's nothing. there's nothing sort of in particular. Uh, I mentioned before I like doing long walks. Um, mm-hmm. I often do, um, yeah, charity walks. 
and such. And I've been involved with the Bloody Long Walk in Melbourne for a good oh, couple yes. of years, the 35K in a day. Yes. Um, oh, which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was sort of gearing myself up to do the Oxfam 100K. Um, so, yeah, that's that will be the next one, I think. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. No, I do like to, but there's nothing, no one charity thing in particular. Yeah. I like to, yeah, to be, to sort of try and do things for different charities. Nice. Especially that involve long walks. <laughs> Anything <laughs> for a walk. Yeah. Oh, Jane, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been lovely to meet you. and, and Yes, and you. you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Jane. Catch me in a fortnight when I speak to Kaya Svensson, land and offshore surveyor from Norway. Defining Boundaries with Peter Cox.